Indiana. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. You're getting a rare morning recording. Yes. <laughs> we never do this. Hannah yes. did not have her shit together this week. That's okay. That's it's okay. It's, it's post holidays. We took some time off to enjoy said holidays. Um, but we're back. And hi. Hello. Hi. Yes. Good to and be I'm here. Working a full time job and a side hustle. Your bitch is tired. <laughs> well, um, um at our last recording, I was starting to get sick. Like it was the first I started feeling it and I've been sick ever since pretty much. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I'm going to try not to uh, cough into the mic this week, but I apologize in advance, uh, Derek, if you have to edit out some uh, Lori coughing because I'm still sick. I've been tested for COVID twice and came back negative both times. So thank God. Yeah. We hope you had a restful holiday season. Um, we hope you are, if you're on the Gulf Coast, you're getting ready for uh, Mardi Gras and Carnival and all that fun mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I hate king cake. That is my spicy Same. take. Um, Same. So you hate you it. have that, but I do miss pralines. So I yeah, think you make me some. Yeah. Um, and speaking of holidays too, I want to give a shout out to Miss Molly Monsters on yes, Instagram yes. and Facebook. Um, I wanted a unique, fun gift for my cemetery row girls. And Miss Molly Monsters had sent us a message on Instagram a while back. Um, she is a crochet queen. And uh, she was like, oh my God, I love the podcast and, and all the sweet stuff. And so we chatted a little bit, but when I decided I wanted something special for y'all, I was like, I'm going to go hit her up. Cause I have a feeling she can create anything. And lo and behold, she did. Um, I beautiful. gave her the vague, very vague um, direction of something cemetery ish. <laughs> and she came up with these awesome tombstones that say our names and cemetery row in 2021, because uh, cemetery row was established in 2021 um we are just weeks away from our one-year anniversary in fact. i cannot believe that oh my i goodness. know so shout out to miss molly monster she makes the most adorable crocheted items um so if you want something for yourself or a friend go check her out please we love her and support mm-hmm. makers and creators and yes um You know, it's one thing to buy somebody some cheap crap you find in Walmart. It's another to support an independent uh, maker. So try to do that when you can. That was another reason why, too, I wanted to go with something unique for y'all because I knew I could support um, something, you know, hopefully made by a woman. I was, you know, I always look for women makers and women creators, but also to just, you know, any small business or anyone who's just doing this as a fun side project or whatever, you know, it's hard out there for all of us right now. It is. And that one sale could really, you know, impact, you know, anything. So anyway, uh, support your local makers, please. Um, the only best thoughts to Betty White, Beyond the Veil, and twenty twenty one. This one's killed me. I won't lie, yes. I've not cried Ooh. over a celebrity like this in a long time. Twenty twenty one got that last jab in, and it went every for the special, jugular. every everything. I've watched everything, and I mean, I fall asleep to the Golden Girls most nights mm-hmm. anyway. So, like, yeah. 
but oh my god i have been so upset over this i mean i i normally celebrity deaths don't bother me but this one has absolutely killed me and then sydney poitier yesterday yes yes Mm -hmm. um me and my mama were just talking about him the other day and um she loves so many of his movies and i saw a story yesterday that described him as elegant yes man what a beautiful word for a beautiful man he was yes Mm -hmm. um but yeah, and then speaking of that, the only other um, news I have, speaking of movies, which, hey, sort of leads into our topic for today. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have seen the miniseries on ABC, I believe it's called Women in the Movement. Um, it's about Emmett Till and his mama. Um, Elmwood Cemetery, my quote unquote home cemetery in Memphis, will be featured in this week's episode, I believe. Oh, very cool. Um, they awesome. filmed his Emmett's burial scene at Elmwood. Now he is not buried at Elmwood. He is no, not buried, buried in Memphis. In Chicago. He's buried in Chicago. Yeah. But Elmwood is so pretty mm-hmm. that they used it as a location. And it was really cool. The cemetery um, shared some photos from the set that day. I mean, the set, it was the cemetery, but they had all these classic cars out there and all. It was very cool. So I don't know where exactly in the cemetery they filmed, but I'm very excited to see this. And, um, the Emmett Till story is one that I we think will is so get important. To. It is mm-hmm. so deeply, deeply important. And his mother is an absolute, I mean, I, I don't know a word for her. I, I cannot imagine the strength she had and, and mm-hmm. how she changed the world. She truly changed yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. And um, her insisting upon that open casket was just like, it's that just literally changed everything. One of yep. those flashpoints in history because she's yeah. like, look what they did to my child. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she should have, she should have done that. And I hate that she was put in that position, but either way, I'm, I'm glad that she's getting some recognition. I think I saw recently that, um, we just passed her hundredth birthday, but of course she's passed. But anyway, I just, I love her very much. I'm, I always, mm-hmm. um, read anything or watch anything I can about her. Cause I think she's fascinating, but yeah, her and Merle Evers really are. Oh, yeah. Merle too. Evers. I love her. Badass. Yeah. Uh, women of the movement. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the only news I have. Do y'all have anything else? No, um, that's pretty no. much it. Just, you know, I, you know, in my mind, uh, January 17th would have been Betty White's 100th birthday. Yes. Yep. And if you count the leap years, she did make it to 100. <laughs> yes. I love how we're, we've decided. <laughs> it's close enough. Math. y'all. She was already so, conceived and mm-hmm, I don't count right. exception. Betty as is a queen. But I will now. Betty is a queen. So donate to your local animal yes. shelter yes. on her birthday. Even yes. just $5 will help. And it, you know, it, it's a way to honor her legacy. It's just a, the most badass, wholesome, funny woman to yeah. exist. Like not product, not a problematic bone in her body. And she no. loved animals so much. And you know, it's a way to honor her legacy. So I will be donating to yellow rabbit animal rescue, which is, um, in, uh, North Mississippi, a friend of mine runs that. And so I hope everyone who listens will pick a local rescue to donate a few dollars to as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also, um, the 17th is also Martin Luther King Jr. Day, yep. which is, of course, also a day of service. Um, so if you can find a way to give back on that day, whether it's giving money or maybe doing an act of service or both or whatever, um, do it for Betty, do it for Martin Luther King Jr. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let's raise their names up and absolutely send them some right. Love. And this so, week yeah. we are covering. People who died on movie sets. 
Yeah. It's been in the news lately. Yes, it has. Yes. So, um, yeah, that's been a story and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's been unfortunately several folks who have indeed died on movie sets. Mm-hmm. And so I think Hannah, are you kicking us off? We are. And as is my brand, um, there's fuckery to be had. <laughs> of course there is. Isn't there always? <laughs> so this tale is a tale as old as time. In fact, it's not that far from other tales I've told. Vic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's going to be one of those. <laughs> I'm sorry in advance. Vic Morrow, born Victor Morozov to Jewish-Russian immigrants in the Bronx, and two children, Renee Shinye Chin, age six and born in Taiwan, and Mika Din Lee, age seven and born in Vietnam, were tragically and gruesomely killed in an onset accident that should have never happened. Remember the Iroquois theater when we talked about regulations being written in blood? Why, yes. Second verse, same as the first. In July of 1982, director John Landis, fuck him and his son, was filming a scene for his segment of Twilight Zone, the movie. I haven't seen this movie. I'm not going to. If you're unfamiliar with the TV show, The Twilight Zone, The classic TV series featured a new story every episode that vacillated between deeply terrifying, I'm looking at you, talking Tina, (laughs) and a complete mindfuck. Try check out the episode Time Enough at Last to have your day completely ruined. Yeah, I just watched that one recently. (laughs) It is, you just get to the end and you're like, what? (laughs) What the fuck? And what I love about period horror movies especially in like because uh this ran from 59 to 64 if i'm not mistaken is and what i love about horror in general is it really tells you what the anxieties were at the time yeah so a lot of the classic um twilight zone episodes are like space travel goes wrong or (laughs) technology goes wrong and you think about what was what was happening in the zeitgeist at that time it's like yeah people were pretty freaked out like we're going to the moon what why you know yeah um so just horror in general whenever you're watching a horror movie a horror series think about when it was made and kind of like what the anxieties were in the culture it's interesting also rod serling is yes narrated by the amazingly attractive rod serling i love that and i could listen to him read the phone book me too it's amazing so the movie version was set to feature four vignettes from four of the early 80s biggest directors steven spielberg who you may know from steven spielberg (laughs) (laughs) joe dante of gremlins fame George Miller, the creator of the Mad Max franchise, and Happy Feet, (laughs) and Landis, who sucks. Landis' segment was a racist white man plopped into, played by Vic Morrow, who was also in movies like The Bad News Bears and stuff like that, uh, plopped into various super racist points in the past century, including the Vietnam War. Um, They also featured a almost lynching um, a German-occupied France. But this time, he's on the other side. He's the minority. 
Because white people learning valuable lessons from the suffering of people in color and other minorities has been a Hollywood mainstay since the beginning. In fact, Mika's father, and I, I don't know how to pronounce these children's names. I'm going by what I think is right. If I'm wrong, by all means, send us the correct one and I will correct it. Mika's father later testified that the explosions in the scene terrified him and gave him flashbacks to the Vietnam War he had actually survived. Oh, wow. Oh, man. The brutal irony of having survived the Vietnam War and moving to the U.S. for a better life, only to have your child killed in a reenactment of that war, is pretty goddamn cruel. Yeah, it is. The scene was supposed to feature Vic's character hauling two children out of the village through a water feature while being pursued by U.S. helicopter. As the trio exits, pursued by Chopper, pyrotechnics would be blowing up the village. The helicopter pilot was a Vietnam veteran himself, making this whole ordeal all the more shitty. Everything that could be fucked up was fucked up. First off, the child actors were hired illegally. The babies should not have been there. The scene was filmed at 2 a.m. Again, the children should not have been there. The children had been recruited by a friend of a friend of the production secretary. Landis knew he was breaking the rules by having them there so late and in proximity to a helicopter and explosives. So he paid them under the table. (sighs) The stunt itself called for a helicopter to be coming in close while the pyrotechnics were detonating. Camera operators testified at the myriad legal actions that followed that they had brought up the danger of such a stunt, which Landis shrugged off. Camera operator Stephen Lidecker later said, I learned not to take anything the man said as a joke. It was his attitude. He didn't have time for suggestions from anybody. Fuck John Landis. Yeah. During the filming, the helicopter tw- hovered 25 feet from the ground near a large mortar effect. Then they turned the helicopter 180 degrees to the left for the camera shot. The effect was detonated while the camera's tail rotor was still above it, causing the rotor to fail and detach. The low-flying rotor spun out of control. So, like, visualize that the helicopter's hanging out next to this thing that's about to detonate. Helicopter turns a sharp left, so its butt is over the pyrotechnic the pyrotechnic blows up basically melts the rotor and the rotor falls off which makes the tail end of the helicopter just kind of whoosh go crazy mm-hmm. right at the trial the defense claimed that the explosions were detonated at the wrong time randall robinson an assistant cameraman on board the helicopter which his butthole must have been puckered <laughs> as hell testified that production manager Dan Ellingham told the pilot, that's too much. Let's get out of here when the explosions were detonated. But Landis shouted over the radio, get lower, get lower. Robinson said that the pilot tried to leave the area, but that we lost our control and regained it. And then I could feel something let go. And we began spinning around in circles at the same time. And this wasn't, like a play helicopter this was an actual Mm. like military helicopter that they had purchased or rented like legit at the same time vic had dropped renee into the water and he was reaching out to grab her when the helicopter fell on top of him and the two children 
Vic and Mika were decapitated by the helicopter's main rotor blades. Oh my God. While Renee was crushed to death by the helicopter's right landing skid. All three died instantly. The civil and criminal fallout from the accident would last nearly a decade. The shenanigans, because if there's court involvement, there will be shenanigans, included the pilot of the helicopter testifying that Vic should have looked up and seen the helicopter barreling toward them. No one was happy with that explanation. (laughs) In the end, the families of the victims would rightfully be awarded millions in judgments. Though charges were brought against Landis and others, there were no criminal convictions. Shocker. However, there were many changes in the movie industry. Warner Brothers set up dedicated safety committees to establish acceptable standards for every aspect of filmmaking, from gunfire to fixed-wing aircraft to smoke and pyrotechnics. The standards are regularly issued as safety bulletins and published as the Injury and Illness Prevention Program Safety Manual for television and feature production. This is the 80s, and they had not had that before then. (laughs) Jesus. The Directors Guild of America's Safety Committee began publishing regular safety bulletins for its members and established a telephone hotline to let directors get quick answers to safety questions. Again, they didn't have this before. The Guild also began to discipline its members for violations of its safety procedures on set, which it had not done prior to the crash. The Screen Actors Guild introduced a 24-hour hotline and safety team for its members and encouraged members to use the right of refusal guaranteed in contracts if they believe a scene is unsafe. So any actor going into a scene could go, "Uh uh-uh, no way in hell, and they're protected under their contract and by their union. Filming accidents fell by 69.6% between 1982 and 1986. Wow. There were still six deaths on sets during that time period. So it didn't completely fix it, but it just goes to show you that giving people the right of refusal and those sorts of things help. Again, regulations are written in blood. Steven Spielberg broke off his friendship with Landis after the accident. Spielberg said that the crash left everyone who worked on the movie sick to the center of our souls. He added, no movie is worth dying for. Mm -hmm. The movie was released in 1983 and was reasonably successful. The scene that featured the two children was deleted in the final cut. Vic is buried in Hillside Memorial Park in Culver City, California, with the inscription, I loved him as dad to everyone else. He was Vic. Renee is buried in Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California, with the inscription, Beloved Daughter and Granddaughter. Mika is buried in Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Cypress, California. Guys, can we name our (laughs) cemeteries anything else? Because there's like two Forest Lawns in Chicago, too. Uh-huh. Um, with the inscription, thank God for showing us the greatest is love. Lo, I am with you always. Mm. And that is the story of the Twilight Zone accident. Oh my God. That's terrible. Yes. Fuck John Land. I believe his son has sexual assault allegations or some shit like that oh my god they're just surprise me they're just a gross gross family um there is i think it's 2020 um cursed films came Mm -hmm. out which is very very good um and they have a segment 
about this and about how the kind of culture around directors at that time in Hollywood let them kind of be these rogue cowboys who do what they Mm -hmm. want and this kind of was like "Mm, no fuck you yeah yeah so um that's a very interesting film and you should definitely try to uh find it because they do talk to linda blair about um what's it's called exorcist there it is (laughs) (laughs) i have had one cup of coffee um (laughs) and that that's a really interesting story as Mm -hmm. well so yeah I'm sure my movie is featured in that. <laughs> I yeah, bet it is. I bet it is. So, um, speaking yeah, of great, yeah, great <laughs> job, Hannah. Yeah. So, I'm going to start off with what I originally. I'm going to do what I'm going to tell y'all about what I originally wanted to do because it was so on brand for Lori. But <laughs> was there just- a horse? No, there was a shark. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Can I just say too, speaking of sharks, Amazon Prime really wants me to watch something called Santa Jaws, <laughs> where it's a shark with a Santa hat, but he's angry. What? And I'm like, I'm not watching this. Stop Maybe I'm more. I'm going to watch this tonight. Because Santa going- Jaws. Oh my goodness. I've, I've been going- meaning to send that to y'all for like forever now. I'm going by the dispensary before I go get my <laughs> booster. So I'm going to get blacked out of my skull and watch Santa Jaws. <laughs> I that mean, is gonna you happen. Can't, you can't make this stuff up. I'm gonna live tweet it to you guys. You guys <laughs> Please are do. Please do. Me high off my ass watching <laughs> this movie. Well so before I get into my real story today that you know is very serious and I care a lot about I had I had to share this because it was so fascinating but there is nothing out there to back up that this actually happened. But originally, I wanted to do the story of Jose Marco, who was a stuntman who was allegedly uh, mauled to death by a shark on the filming of a movie um, back in the 60s with, um, oh, the dude with the mustache, Burt Reynolds. Um, And the mustache. Yeah. Right. Burt Reynolds, didn't he have one? Uh, Yes. Yeah. I have his centerfold from Cosmo (laughs) as a magnet. I do too. Thank you. Machina Barnett. Oh, did I buy that for you? Because I bought one for myself. Um, Um, Yeah. I thought it was from Playgirl or whatever. No, it was Cosmo. It was back in the 70s when they were a little bit more hardcore. Yeah. Go Cosmo. Anyway. But so the, the movie was not even about sharks. It was about this like treasure hunter who has to go diving for a sunken treasure off the coast of South Africa. And there's just, you know, it's shark infested waters. That's so after this alleged incident where this uh, stuntman was mauled by a shark, um, they changed the name of the movie to shark and then used his death to promote this film that really wasn't about sharks. So, but again, this happened in Mexico in the sixties and I could find nothing yeah you're not legitimate like every it's listicles you know 10 times people have died on movie sets and it'd be mentioned but no source no source there was a life magazine article but that was it and it was like "Mm, are they doing this to promote this movie i don't know anyway so as usual there wasn't enough to back it up there weren't receipts so i changed it but I'm not going to tell you yet because I got, you know, I've got a whole thing. So, <laughs> I got what? a whole thing. Y'all know what it is, but I got pitch. a whole thing. Okay, so 
Do y'all remember that TikTok trend from last year where grown folks were sitting on their couches recalling their, you know, they were watching a movie and kind of reliving their first feelings of lust while watching, like, for some people, it was uh, David Bowie and Labyrinth. For others, (laughs) it was Brendan Fraser (laughs) and George of the Jungle and it's Taylor Swift Wildest Dreams. Well, for me, that was in 1995 when at the age of 10 years old i watched the crow for the first time (laughs) yeah let's set aside the fact that as a 10 year old i should not have been watching the crow (laughs) but seeing brandon lee in all his goth glory as aaron Mm -hmm. draven davy havoc and like 90 percent of the late 90s emo scene owes their careers Mm -hmm to the crow (laughs) oh absolutely and that is where i became obsessed with skinny dirty rocker boys oh man that is our weakness isn't it yes they're the worst no they're the the worst oh my god the hip bones well you remember (laughs) when i when i interviewed villy valo from him yes and how i was just obsessed with his hip bones oh god okay can i just say i googled him the other day because i was like whatever happened where is he and he still he still looks pretty good i'm sure google him y'all because i'm (sighs) sure most you know cop gutters what can we do yeah yeah uh I sh- if I was a hip kid, I would have joined on that bandwagon and made my own TikTok, but eh, I didn't. So, <laughs> coulda, woulda, shoulda. So, and and I apologize in advance. I'm just, a, I assumed a lot when I was, you know, typing up my script that people know about this movie and yeah. know the story, but I'm sure not everybody does, but, you know, fuck it. You know, Google if it. If you've made it this far in, in our, our podcast, podcast I'm you sure. have watched The Crow. Yes. <laughs> So, and especially, um, so I think everybody knows the basic story of Brandon Lee's death while filming The Crow. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't, I'm sure that the recent death of the director of photography, Helena Hutchins, on the set of Rust, uh, certainly brought it back up into mainstream media. So you've read stuff about it. Brandon was killed by a prop gun on the set of what many thought would be the role that would allow him to step out from behind the legacy of his father, legendary martial artist and actor Bruce Lee, and pave his own path as an actor and not just as a martial arts expert. Because yes, he did follow in his father's footsteps and, and you know, become skilled at martial arts, but he didn't really want that to be his legacy let's go back to february 1st 1965 brandon lee was born in oakland california he was the oldest child and only son of the aforementioned martial arts expert and director bruce lee and his american wife linda the family hopped between hong kong and california due to his father's filming schedule until 1973 when bruce lee died suddenly of a cerebral edema at the age of 32 Wow, I didn't know he was that young. Yeah, he was yeah. pretty young. Um, and that, the two kids were just babies. Yeah, they were little. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, it's swelling of the brain, essentially. He had been dealing with issues for a while, and uh, he just, yeah. His death is also surrounded by conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Brandon's and... is too. I'm not even going to go into that because it's just, it's ridiculous. There is a legitimate yeah. reason this happened. Um, and the Chinese 
mafia was not involved in either so you know so so after bruce died linda moved brandon and his younger sister shannon to her hometown of seattle and bruce was buried in the nearby lakeview cemetery (coughs) excuse me so when he was nine brandon began studying martial arts however due to the pressure of living up to his father's legacy he began focusing more on soccer and that was because like he would go to a martial arts studio and there'd be these giant ass pictures of his dad on the wall and yeah. it's like eh, i can't that's gonna fuck you that. up yeah that's yeah. that's no no bueno yeah. especially having to see your dead dad yeah. every single time you know yeah. it's it's weird and we'll, we'll get into more of that later in, in a few minutes but so he was a, a very rebellious teenager and he was booted out of high school four months before he was going to graduate oh, <laughs> Branson. yeah good job so he did wind up getting his ged in 1983 good for and him. he moved to new york to study acting and he eventually attended emerson college in boston where he majored in theater and side note for hannah and any other fans of the obsessed with disappear podcast that is the same inner emerson college that ellen marsh and patrick hines attended oh so i like I think, that i think they were after i don't think they they're not that old so no i think they're they, probably 90s era for them yeah, so, so they're a little younger than him so uh, Brandon returned to Los Angeles in 1985, and he was working as a script reader when he was approached about starring in the made-for-TV movie Kung Fu, the movie, <laughs> oh, uh, Jesus. which was to be a follow-up to the television series of the same name. In this film, Brandon played the illegitimate child of the main character, who was played by David Carradine. Yeah. <laughs> what His is death it? was also interesting. Oh, yes, yes, def- definitely. Uh, so an interesting little aside is that uh, this when they, they were developing the series Kung Fu, it was supposed to be Bruce Lee's kind of introduction to American audiences. He was supposed to play David Carradine's character, but I guess they didn't, they wanted to hire somebody more well-known and white, ironically, to play a uh, Kung Fu master. A, 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 yes, an Asian character. Um, so he did play that role and he would he would go on and have like bit parts in a few minor films before being approached in 1991 to play his father in the biopic dragon the bruce lee story Mm. (laughs) he turned it down because it would have been hella awkward not only to be doing sex scenes that were supposed to be his mom exactly (laughs) because of the romance between his parents uh and then so jason scott lee who no relation uh went on to play the part i watched the movie and it yeah it wasn't bad it was good i watched it yeah 1991 was a good year for brandon he moved in with his girlfriend eliza hutton and he was cast in his first big Hollywood movie, Showdown in Little Tokyo, which was a buddy cop action movie that co-starred, if he dies, he dies, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> I do, too. Apparently, he's like the nicest dude ever, too. Yes, so I'm, sure, I'm sure. I'm sure he is. Uh, it wasn't re- well received by critics and earned just over $2.2 million at the box office, which is about $4.5 million in today's money. So, eh didn't do so hot but it was kind of his jumping off point the following year he was cast in rapid fire in that movie he plays a college student who goes into witness protection after witnessing a murder it did better than showdown in little tokyo it brought in just over 14 million and while reviews were mixed many critics found that brandon was very charismatic 
And next came The Crow, which he landed while promoting Rapid Fire in the fall of 92. And The Crow, I I thought this was interesting. It's based on a comic book of the same name that was created by James O'Barr. He created this comic, uh, and it was initially released in 1989, as a way to deal with the unexpected death of his fiance at the hands of a drunk driver. Oh, wow. Uh, Brandon was cast as Eric Draven, a musician who was brought back to life to avenge his and his fiance's murder a year after their death. Brandon dove into this role in the weeks prior to the beginning of filming. He went on a strict diet, did a lot of cardio and aerobics because he was very muscular from martial arts and he needed to become more streamlined and dirty rocker boy <laughs> to better fit that character of a musician. Yeah. Right. Because so, this was grunge era. They were all scrawny mm-hmm. little things. Yeah. So he had to get kind of scrawny. And even during when they were preparing uh, to go into production, he would submerge himself with bags of ice to prepare for the resurrection scene. Because in his opinion, that would be Eric Draven would be freezing cold when that happened. Mm, yeah. Um, and when it came time to film that scene, even though they filmed it in the middle of winter and it was freezing outside, he still requested the ice to help chill him down, even though he was buck ass naked <laughs> and had no nothing on his feet. Man. So every account I read about that, they were just the crew and cast were just amazed at his dedication and just he wasn't pulling a oh fuck, what's that guy's name that does all the method acting? He wasn't method acting. Right. Uh he was just yeah, he, he has wanted- three names. I can't remember it right now. <laughs> yeah, that guy. You know who I'm talking about. My Somebody is screaming Lincoln. at us. Daniel right Day now. Lewis. There we go. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. There we go. God damn it, you fucking bimbos. <laughs> yes, you don't know shit. <laughs> um, so now we come to March of 1993. So bear with me. There are a lot of details and information into what led up to his death. So they're shooting a scene that required blanks which are bullet cases that are filled with a type of gunpowder and have a cardboard tip to limit the impact on a person if they were fired from a gun. But the props master realized, oops, there are no blanks on set. But I happen to have some uh, real bullets in my trunk um, because they weren't allowed to have real bullets on set. So they went out to his car and got him out of his trunk. Gee, I wonder why. And they made blanks and dummy rounds, which dummy rounds do not have gunpowder, but maintain the lead tip. And during this scene, it's a victim looking down the barrel of a gun being loaded. A dummy round was loaded into the gun. However, no one on the props team realized that when they loaded that dummy round into the gun, the lead tip became lodged into the barrel. Fast forward two weeks to March 30th. Or it was actually more like March 31st because it was like one o'clock in the morning when they were filming this scene. That same revolver that they had used two weeks earlier was needed for the scene that uh, they were shooting, which was the the opening scene, basically, of Eric Draven and his girlfriend, fiance, being murdered horribly. The prop master wasn't on set that day and it's believed that the assistant just wasn't aware that he needed to check the gun prior to filming to make sure that there was nothing wrong with it 
Um, in the scene, Brandon was to walk into uh, his apartment to a gang of thugs, thugs murdering his fiance, and then be shot at a distance of 12 to 15 feet by the character Funboy, who was played by Michael Massey. The scene seemed to be going according to plan until Brandon fell forward instead of backward. And it took the crew a few moments to realize something was wrong. He didn't get up. They thought, oh, he's he's kidding around. But when the stunt coordinator went to check, he noticed he was unconscious and breathing heavily. But they couldn't detect any bleeding. Um, but they soon realized that he had been hit by the bullet in the stomach just above his navel. And it had hit him with essentially the force of a live round within minutes of this incident they they lost his pulse so he wouldn't be declared officially dead until six hours later when he was undergoing emergency surgery at the new hanover regional medical center in wilmington north carolina but he was pronounced dead at 103 p.m on march 31st 1993 he was 28 years old, and he was going to marry Eliza just a few weeks later on April 17th, Aww. a week after shooting was to wrap. Ugh. So on April 27th, the North Carolina District Attorney, Jerry Spivy announced that Brandon's death was due to negligence on the part of the film crew and not foul play. You know, those conspiracy oh, theories. Yeah. Um, the director, Alex Proyas, did not want to finish the film without Brandon, but Eliza and his mother and the rest of the film's cast and crew convinced him they needed to finish this. Um, although I did read somewhere where like a third of the crew did not come back, and that included the creator of the comic book. He could not yeah. come back on set. Um, they did get an extra $8 million in funding to finish shooting. Um, did some script rewrites and used stuntmen Chad Stahelski and Jeff Cadiente to film Brandon's remaining scenes, which included the opening death scene. Mm -hmm. And Brandon's face was imposed over theirs using CGI in post-production. So way before Paul Walker was uh, fixed up in post-production in a uh, whatever fast and the furious seven i guess i can't remember what seven it was. because i uh, referenced that in my story yeah so so this i mean this is in the early 90s and they were yeah. able to do that yeah. um the film was eventually released on may 13th 1994 and it debuted at number one it earned 51 million dollars at the box office and did really well in vhs sales and rentals there were three pretty awful film sequels and one canadian series <laughs> but none had the success of the original and there have been multiple attempts at a reboot bradley mm -hmm. cooper james mcavoy tom hiddleston and even fucking jason momoa have been in talks to play the role but every it, it keeps falling through so the that's second kind of crow has a banger soundtrack though guys i you know i i kind of like the second crow but I mean, it, it has was terrible, but it, the I, movie was bad, but the yeah. soundtrack was amazing. It has Hole covering Gold Dust Woman, and it is magical. Yes, it's so good. Yes. <laughs> so Brandon's mother did sue the studio in August of 93 for negligence, and the case was settled out of court. Michael Massey, the actor who fired the bullet that killed Brandon, never really recovered from the tragedy. He took a year off from acting 
and refused to watch the completed movie. Um, he, he did, did die young. Yeah, he returned to acting in 95 when he appeared in David Fincher's Seven. He's which so good in Seven. Can who, fuck who up your brain too. in Seven? He's the sex shop yes. guy. Oh, at the mas- yeah. That's right. Okay, I literally just watched Seven for the first time a couple weeks ago. I Ooh. hate Fincher, but I like Seven. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was intense. No one prepared me for that. <laughs> he also was in the Amazing Spider-Man movies with Andrew Garfield. Oh, not sadly, so he did pass away on October 20th, 2016 of stomach cancer at the oh. age of 64. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Brandon was buried next to his father at Lakeview Cemetery in Seattle. The graves are visited by thousands of fans each year and have been listed as one of the top 10 celebrity graves in the world by Time Magazine. Okay. In fact, the cemetery would not allow Kurt Cobain to be buried there because of the large number of visitors they already had for. They're like, please, no, no more sad bitches. Yes. Now I want to know where Kurt is. Brandon's Headstone Girls. It is gorgeous. It is beautiful. I love, I have to say, yeah, he has a beautiful monument. It is. It was designed by Washington sculptor Kirk Moline as a McLean not McLean, as a testament to the love between Eliza and Brandon and featured two and features two twisting rectangles of charcoal granite. It includes a quote from the sheltering sky, a 1949 novel by American writer and composer, Paul Bowles. It obviously meant a lot to him. It was included in his wedding invitations and he would often quote it in interviews. It's a little long. So just, you know, Kurt Cobain was cremated, so he doesn't have a gravesite. Yeah, I just Googled too. (laughs) Okay, so here is the inscription on Brandon's grave. Because we don't know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. And yet everything happens only a certain number of times and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood, an afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it? Perhaps Mm -hmm. four or five times more, perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20. And yet it all seems limitless. Hmm. Okay, I'm emotional now. I want to fall my eyes out. It is so sad, (laughs) and it's going to get a. I felt some weird vibes from this. So the quote is then followed by the inscription for Brandon and Eliza, ever joined in true love's beauty. I I don't want to say problematic, but it's a little strange because, like, that's putting a lot of pressure on her to never remarry. And it's, yeah, it's very, or get stri- married. Right. And she did get married, I think about 10 years after he died. Um, I'm she, sure her husband feels great about well, that. She's, th- they're divorced. Oh, well, but it's, it's still, it's like, you're putting that, you know, yes, they were, they were going to be married. They were very much in love. I include a picture of them um, that Sheena will post, but it's, it's just, she didn't die with him. Right. right. You know, she and, had a and it life. makes it sound like she did. Yeah. And And that the only love she was ever going to have in her life was this probably very serious, obviously, love that she had in her early 20s. You know, you have so much life after your 20s, guys. You know, right. You know, and I'm sure Brandon would not want her to spend the rest of her life pining for him. Right. He would have wanted her to move on and, and live her life, not be defined by that. 
Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's very strange. And she, now she has uh, said, an, you know, she's done interviews recently because of the death of Helena Hutchins. Um, you know, and she does call him the love of her life, which, you know, there, yeah. I feel like everybody has that one big love that kind of impacts you and shapes you. <laughs> that doesn't mean that's the only person you're ever going to love or have right. a with. Um, right. But so obviously both she and Linda Lee um, are campaigning for no actual guns to be used on movie sets. And I mean, seems might, smart. It's it, like, for fuck's sake, they can make, in the 90s, they were able to impose his face on um, one of his stuntmen. Right. They were able to shoot scenes with Paul Walker's brothers to end his character story. Why the fuck can't they take a toy gun and CGI it to look real? Absolutely. Why are they having to use, because... Or even practical effects that would be the same. You know, you would get the sound, you'd get the pop, you'd get the whatever, which mm-hmm. the way guns look in movies aren't the way guns look in real life anyway. Um, but yeah. so there's no reason to have a live deadly weapon like around always, yeah. actors. Mm-hmm. I always assumed that the sounds from gunshots were made in post anyway. Right. I don't know. I don't know anything about making movies. Oh, absolutely. But, they they, they would have to go why, back. Yeah, I don't know why they couldn't have a CGI burst of gunfire. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or like I said, a practical effect where the gun yeah. produces the burst of gunfire, but there is no gunfire. I mean, you're not going to tell me with today's technology that that's not doable. Yeah, yeah there doesn't and need to be a bullet. you have to assume that any real gun is a hundred percent loaded all of the time. Exactly. Gun safety 101. All guns yeah. are loaded. Mm-hmm. And you know, actors, you know, they're not trained. I don't think they're trained the they're way they should be. Gun safety professionals. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they don't have their license. Their, they haven't right. gone to a class. And yeah. it's, you know, it, it puts a lot on, and there's just so many people on a movie set that yeah. And incidents like this happen. Incidents and a prop like, changes hands like how mm-hmm. many times? Yeah. It's just, it's an accident. It's a horrible accident. And I'm sure that everyone involved, anytime something like this has happened, has struggled and continues to struggle. It'll be interesting right. to see, you know, Alec Baldwin's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs yeah. anyway. So it'll be right. interesting to see <laughs> how this affects him. But yeah. it's it's just very sad because, you know, going back, this was going to be Brandon's first. His re- breakout. His breakthrough performance. Martial arts were not a part of the movie. In fact, they only used a little bit of his experience when uh, developing the, the fighting style of Eric Draven. They used a lot of um, acrobatics as well. Um, so it was going to be his first role where he wasn't in it because he was an action hero type person and he was a dirty little rocker boy yeah he was his his death scene with the falling out of the window is really beautiful (laughs) and they they actually that was shot with the stuntmen they the original scene was never um printed used well yeah that like the actual scene in which he was killed 
you know, it said that uh, the cops took it for evidence or it was burned. Right. Um, but they wound up redoing the entire scene and using one of the stuntmen yeah. for it. So, and the scene where his fiance is murdered is really, really brutal and yeah. trigger just, warning. Just pretty much everything about the movie. It's raining all the fucking time. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. it's just dark and bleak. It's like trying mm-hmm. to watch a DC movie. It's, oh, yeah, it is. But it is. It's, but it's a comic book movie. I mean, right. And it's, you know, that, you know, this was anyway it's it's very sad and it is in cursed films um and they talked to an actor who played a character that had to be cut uh because of brandon's death yes so yes i he was mentioned a couple of times so so yes will there ever be a and and that's not another reason they call it a cursed film is because they've been trying to reboot it since 2008 and it just nothing's worked out and honestly it doesn't need to be redone leave it well enough alone it was a perfect film in my opinion critics i agree but it was a very well done film you know goth babies across the world were like oh (laughs) yep what's this look at things for us (laughs) our goth awakening exactly (laughs) so so yeah i you know leave well enough that they won't obviously no but no i'm oh yeah they're yeah. gonna play it in our uh retirement home and we're just <laughs> exactly. all gonna be fucking livid <laughs> so Show the brandon lee version you cowards exactly <laughs> what the fuck is this shit <laughs> okay sheena i don't think i know anything about your story so i'm very interested well you to hear it I didn't either. Um, all props to my mother who told me about it. Um, she was watching some coverage of the rust shooting and, um, it was an episode of 2020 and the first hour was dedicated to rust. The second hour was dedicated to this story and she had never heard of it. And, um, I I don't typically like to cover things that were recently featured in other media, like if the dollop or stuff you missed in a history class or my favorite murder, like cover someone interesting. I'm like, Oh, I want to do that for our show. But then I'm like, well, no, that just came out, but this is such a fascinating story. And I, I didn't know it and it's recent and it's in um, one of my favorite parts of the country. So um, I'm covering it anyway. Dang it. Let's do uh, it. I was just so moved by the story. Like I've not been able to stop thinking about it since it happened, partly because I've been enraged. Okay. Um, That's good. It's it's very much like your story, Hannah, in that people are most definitely at fault and they don't want to take that responsibility anywhere. Just get prepared to be angry with me. I love it. So picture it because this does include Betty Davis, actually. Betty Davis, Betty White. Crap. It doesn't include (laughs) Betty White. Briefly at the end. February 2014 in Doctortown, Georgia. No, you've never heard of it. Don't worry. No, we we get to where it is. Uh, The feature film Midnight Rider, a biopic about the Allman Allman Brothers Band's Greg Allman, was set to film at least partially in Savannah, Georgia, where Allman lived in his later years. An official production was scheduled to start on February 24th, but on February 20th, the crew traveled about an hour and a half southwest of Savannah to Doctortown for a, quote, camera test. The plan was that they were going to work on a dream sequence in which Greg Allman, played by William Hurt, 
was supposed to, um, he was going to lie on this um, hospital bed and dream that he is seeing his brother, Dwayne, like in the distance. Okay. Um, and they were going to film this um, near a bridge. And this oh, bridge is boy. like very historic and like something happened there in like the Civil War or some crap. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to get into that. Either way, but what this road is, it's not just like a road. It's a train track. Oh, boy. It's a live train track. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, see, this is going to end well. Exactly. So the movie's writer, director, producer, Randall Miller assured the team that they had permission to film on this historic uh, bridge, this historic train track that has been there, I think, 110 years. Um, and William Hurt asked, if, what do they do if a train comes? And they said, valid well, question. <laughs> yes. And he said, um, they, they were told you have 60 seconds to get off the track. The fuck? Two trains came through. Um, and when you watch this 2020, and I'm sure other outlets had the same footage, obviously everything was being filmed and it was also being photographed by a set photographer. Um, there's so much footage of them kind of standing around waiting on these trains to go through. Um, and the two trains do come through and the crews said, you know, these are the last two trains for the day. So we're going to officially start working. Fun fact to know and tell, um, from what I understand, no train track ever gives out its schedule because that would go against Homeland Security protocol. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Right. So whoever came up with that didn't was, know what the fuck they were talking yes. about. Yeah. Oh, just wait. No one knows oh, anything. Jesus. About 10 minutes after they began working. So William Hurt is on this metal hospital bed because it's metal for some reason. Um on the train track, on this bridge, I mean, everything is set up and ready to go. About 10 minutes after they begin working, a train comes around the co- corner, um, traveling at about 60 miles an hour. Oh, shit. And the only way the actor and the crew can escape was to run toward the oncoming train. Oh, and they shit. did have less than a minute to escape. You think they would have somebody doing lookout? Like, no, 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 a no, mile no, no, down. No, 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 no. no. Good grief. Hannah, that would that would <laughs> require someone caring oh, and having Jesus, some and planning Joseph. and organization. Uh, they couldn't move the heavy metal bed and some of the camera equipment out of the way. Of course, the camera oh. equipment is expensive. Yeah. Um, and some of the crew members were trying to move that off. Some people were screaming at them to just leave it, let it get hit. Um and I'm some sure of the, the train conductor is like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, here? yeah. There's there's also video footage from the train itself because it has like a dash cam, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're they're blowing the horn. Like, and, get the and fuck out of my way. Y'all to see the video of this train coming down the track, it's it's terrifying. It is so fast. I mean, it's it's on them before they know it. And because some they can't get everything off in time, and some of the crew members can't get off in time, they are hanging on to the tr- the side of the iron bridge oh they can't get off the trestle so they're literally hanging on and the train hits the metal bed and it shatters and it sends shrapnel everywhere fragments of the bed struck assistant camera operator sarah jones and propelled her toward the train and oh 
William Hurt managed to get off the track before the train hit, but he did cut his feet on splinters and sharp rocks. Um, Several other crew members, including hairstylist Joyce Gilliard, whose arm was broken when the train came by, uh, they were all taken to the hospital. I believe there were about seven people who were injured that day, and I think that includes Sarah, who was killed. Uh, And Joyce said that the force of the train was so strong that she couldn't keep her hold on the side of the train trestle Um, it was almost forcing her off but she did manage to stay on um and she talks in 2020 interviews and in other interviews that they didn't know they were going to be taken to train tracks that day they had no idea you know about any of it and she just felt weird about it she did not feel safe so let's talk about sarah jones for just a moment sarah elizabeth jones was 27 Uh, She was a native of West Columbia, South Carolina, born in 1986. She lived in Atlanta, Georgia, where she worked as a camera assistant on many TV and movie projects. Um, She was a graduate of Brooklyn Casey High School and the College of Charleston. Uh, She finished her formal education with a major in media communications and a minor in film studies. And she began her film career um while interning on the set of army wives i don't know if y'all remember that show yeah yes, I do. <laughs> lifetime show. um and everyone who talked about her absolutely loved her she seemed to be just a joy to be around um and she really found a passion for cinematography um she was a member of the international cinematographers guild Um, But one show she worked on a lot was the Vampire Diaries. Um, The cast actually was interviewed um, for the cast. And I think a producer was interviewed for that 2020 episode. And they just, they talked beautifully about her. And I've always wondered, you know, how do your camera operators, how well do they get to know the cast? Are they buddies or are they like, you know, the celebrities like, don't look at me, you know, or whatever. I don't know. No paparazzi. Yeah, but they all talked beautifully about her. So they must have been good friends. Um, her big break was on Furious 7, uh, oh, the geez. seventh Fast and Furious movie franchise. And um, when Paul Walker died in the car accident in November 2013, production was stopped and it wouldn't resume until April. Um, and this was all like November 2013 going into 2014. So this accident on the train trestle happened in february 2014 so she was supposed to i think go back to resume production i think so but in the meantime she took this job and uh she told her parents she was kind of surprised at how low budget it was and she was a little worried because some of the people on set were asking her questions and she's like you should know this stuff Uh uh-oh um a website that is dedicated in her honor says um, from the heights of the mountains, she hiked to the depths of the ocean. She dove and never without a camera to record her experiences. The gift of her presence was felt far and wide to have heard of Sarah was a privilege to have known Sarah was a blessing. Aww. It was to feel the an energy that was infectious and kind. Although her physical being is no longer with us, her smile and her love of life will forever transcend in all the lives she touched. Her friends are too many to count. Aww. all right so who why why she did let's just get mad yeah mad. oh boy yeah that's ridiculous let's do it. it's insane so the uh movie's director and who helped write the script and who pr- helped produce it is randall miller um 
you may have seen some of his movies. He directed CBGB, uh, Bottle Shock, Noble Son, The Sixth Man, starring Marlon Wayans, The Kid and Play <laughs> movie, Class Act. Oh, boy. He remembers Kid and Play. <laughs> I most certainly do. <laughs> and House Guest with Phil Hartman and Sinbad. Rest in peace, Phil Hartman. Um, several of these movies, especially the later ones, um, he worked with Alan Rickman and Bill Pullman and Eliza Dushku, who I know and love from Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. and a ton of other projects. Um, bring it on. They, she was huh? amazing and bring it on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so these folks worked with him fairly often, which I thought was interesting. Um, so it's not like he was a first time director. Um, Miller bragged either at like film events or in movie commentary about filming risky scenes or filming without permission for CBGB. I don't know why he filmed CBGB partially in Savannah because (laughs) CBGB is in New York, but there also may be a Savannah connection I don't know about or, or it was cheaper. It was cheaper. That's That's always the thing because Savannah is in a lot of movies. Um, they are it feels like they're always filming something there i mean so many movies have been filmed in savannah um and a lot of times like their rules and regulations for what you can do on a set are a little bit more lax than in new york and california well they weren't here (laughs) and and he took advantage or he just basic rules of just how you just conduct yourself conductors are just thrown out the window so the savannah film commission took issue with him repeatedly during filming of cbgb um on that 2020 they talk about how um his production crew would remove stop signs or paint over them like no that's that's a major that's you're gonna kill people when you do that that feels Um, illegal (laughs) hella and then cars were parked in front of fire hydrants or in spots designated for um disabled drivers i'll get my shit towed for that thank you yeah and like every time they like someone said something to him he's like oh we're filming a movie it's okay well no No, baby it's not it's not it's It's still basic safety it's basic safety and the savannah uh, film commission said that they received more complaints about um worries about safety and that kind of thing on that movie more than any other movies that were filmed in savannah the previous year Um, but he and his wife jody savin i think i'm saying that right savin savin either way i don't care pinned midnight rider based on greg allman's autobiography my cross to bear and they returned to savannah to shoot it because the allman brothers band is they're from georgia right that whole make into savannah area is just allman brothers band country um miller and his producers denied any wrongdoing or negligence in the tragedy that took place on the train track um csx who owned the train tracks Mm -hmm. they're a a train company Mm -hmm. denied permission to film on the tracks on their property not yes but twice they they literally received written letters from csx that said you do not have permission to film there um there were also no medics on set there were no safety experts on set jesus um Miller and his team wanted to continue filming Midnight Rider a week after Sarah's death. What the, the fuck? fuck? Technically, no one could stop them. Te- there's, there's no one to say, hey, stop being a bad human. Well, <laughs> right. I mean, could William Hurt say, fuck you, I'm done? Well, exactly. That's by the I'm Screen Actors Guild, he can say, uh-uh. 
Yeah. Well, film crews from literally around the world heard about this and they um, film crews and like film associations, these film groups, guilds, everything um, really took issue, obviously. And they raised a stink. Thank God. Mm -hmm. They asked Greg Allman to step in. He had not passed yet. He passed in 2017, but this was 2014. And then they asked for William Hurt and the other actors to withdraw. And all of that happened. Um, William Hurt left the movie. And then um, Greg Allman wrote a letter to Miller and Savin, uh, Savin, whatever, and which he later released that letter to the public. And he said, your desires as a filmmaker should not outweigh your obligations as a human being. I'm asking you to do the right thing and to set aside your attempts to resume production out of respect for Sarah, her family, and the loss that all of us feel so deeply. And Greg Allman eventually sued the couple in an attempt to stop the film's production because I guess that letter begging for them to you know, recognize yeah. they have a shred Jesus. of humanity did nothing. Um, and because of that suit, Miller and everyone else involved in the movie had to testify in court. And there's three separate times they show it. Oh, if you want to get infuriated, watch the 2020 because three separate times the lawyers like, you know, shouldn't you have checked and, and made sure you have permission? Shouldn't you have? done this shouldn't you have done that and like three separate times he goes that's not my job Ugh. and i'm like dude you're a producer you wrote this movie and you're the director everything is, is your, your job? job and i get yes. it you can't micromanage i get right that. but you should know the basics of the buck stops with you it really yeah. does so miller and his wife jody uh, executive producer Jay Sedrish and first assistant director Hillary Schwartz were all charged with involuntary manslaughter and criminal trespass, as well as being cited by OSHA, because obviously, uh, in conjunction with Sarah's parents, they reached a plea deal. So Miller pled guilty to felony involuntary manslaughter and criminal trespassing, and he received a 10-year sentence. However, with that plea deal, he was supposed to have served two years and then be let out on probation. He only served one. Of course. Of course. He's a rich white guy. We yeah. Put those in prison. He is, however, the first director in movie history to go to jail for a death on the set. Good. So there is that. Cedric and Schwartz um, were also convicted and sentenced to 10 years of probation. And then his wife, Jody's charges were dropped as part of the plea deal agreement with um, Miller. However, he is still up to his old shenanigans. In 2019, Miller was uh, served as director and executive producer of a new movie in Serbia. He was filming in Serbia, London, oh, and Colombia. Jesus, which, nothing bad could happen there. And and all, yeah, I think that's when you say like the the rules may be lax. I kind of wonder if that's why he's going out of the country. Um, a company I used to work for outsourced some of our production to Serbia because we could pay them like $2 an hour. Right. And I didn't think you could probably leave the country if you were on probation and he is still on probation and the terms of his probation prevented him supposed to prevented him to work as a director, first assistant director or supervisor with responsibility for safety in any film production. So when Sarah's family found out that he was doing this, they alerted the Georgia DA's office, but that did basically nothing yeah. because in February, 2021, a judge ruled that he had not broken his probation. I don't know how, hmm. and but suggested like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be making any more movies until your probation's over. You don't say. You don't mm -hmm. say. 
following Sarah's death, her friends, family, film colleagues, and other supporters launched a campaign called Safety for Sarah to bring greater awareness and attention to safety issues in film and television production. And if you go to safetyforsarah.com, there are all of these amazing photos um, called, um, there's a movement called Slates for Sarah, the slates that, you know, you see someone clap. clap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they put her name on their slates and it's movies and TV shows from around the world. Literally everything you can think of in, since 2014. Um, it's Vampire Diaries, Orphan Black, Big Bang Theory, Downton Abbey, Hot in Cleveland, which has Betty White in the photo. Mm. Uh, Selma, Fast and Furious 7, of course. Uh, Night at the Museum, Blackish, The Martian, Glee, Bones, NCIS, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Modern Family, Blue Bloods. I mean, every show you can think of. And the actors always look very serious. And <laughs> they've got something on the slate that says like R.I.P. Sarah or Slates for Sarah or something about Sarah. Um, so that's really cool her she is not being forgotten whatsoever I know too at the um, Oscars that year a lot of people wore black ribbons in honor of her Um, Sarah was cremated um, and her family has kept the location of her cremains private which makes sense yeah Um, if you do want to visit anyone who has died um, that is involved in the story Greg Allman did die in 2017 at the age of 69 He's buried alongside his brother and another um, Allman Brothers band member at Rose Hill Cemetery in Macon, Georgia. That's also where the Wolf Forks that I mentioned in our Christmas Mayhem. Yeah. That Christmas Mm -hmm. Mayhem? Yeah. I can't remember. Um, They're buried there too. It's a beautiful, beautiful cemetery. I just wish I could live there so I could explore it 24-7. Which one Um, was married to Cher? Greg. Okay. Yeah, that's really fun. I've got this share box set because I love share of, of course. Um, her TV show. And it's it's around the time that she before she um, divorced Sonny and oh. going into post divorce of Greg being on the show. And she's oh. always like, here's my special friend. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm getting it, Cher. I love it. <laughs> oh, I love her so much. Um, but as Sarah's mother said in that 2020 episode, and I can't recommend watching it enough because it's really fascinating, but also really infuriating. As her mother said, no one should die making a movie. Yeah, that is what yeah. Steven Spielberg said as well. Yep. It ain't that deep, y'all. It ain't that mm-hmm. deep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Shout out to everyone who, who worked on that movie, especially the hairstylist Joyce. Uh, Gilead, she didn't sign up for that. She, she did, did not, not sign, sign up, up for that. that. She's yeah. a beautiful lady and she speaks so beautifully about um, her concerns and how she was, you know, seeing Sarah and knowing her and, and the aftermath. And I just, I just want to send her all the love because she's gone mm-hmm. through so much physical rehab. They talked to her Ugh. a lot about like her arm mm-hmm. and everything. And then, the trauma of it. I mean, everyone oh, yeah. said they also spoke to the um, on-set photographer, and she was like, "You know, the That's trauma, traumatic. It, yeah, it, it's it's horrific." And I'm, I cannot even imagine. Um, but yeah, so and like William Sarah. Hurt was laying in that fucking bed. He was laying in the like you. you there's what? so much footage of him laying in that bed. I and cannot like, almost kill William Hurt. <laughs> like, like, oh my god, WTF, like. Like, um, I cannot imagine, like, you know, I grew up in the country and we had train tracks and we were always told you don't play on the train tracks no, because you all. don't know when a train's coming. Right. No. You know, and, and that's what I've always heard is that you, 
you're not allowed to get a train schedule because it goes against Homeland Security. That's what I've always right. been told. I don't know how true that is, but that's what, because like Elmwood Cemetery yeah. is right beside us, a train. And so like when we show movies there or something like that, you can't help it. There's a train that's going to come through and you're going right. to get a train instead of whatever movie we're showing. And we're always like the, the train was here first. It predates the cemetery. Also, we can't get a schedule. Right. So I'm like, why would you shoot on a live track? Why couldn't you have found you know, an old track that doesn't or just built a fucking set. Exactly. A set, or I think too, what they said this scene was based on was a, a scene from Greg's book where he talked about being on a bridge. Okay. Go find a bridge. Right. It doesn't have Why to be a rail bridge. To, it doesn't have to have a train track on it. And I'm like, you could have found a bridge somewhere. You could have shut it down and like mm-hmm. work with the local cops to say, okay, exactly coming here, but no, y'all had to just go wild. Mm-hmm. And just directors are like neurosurgeons and that whatever they say is like God's word. And you're like, you know what? You make movies. You made fucking house party. Maybe clamp it down. I know. I know. And so, yeah, I just, I just hate that this happened. She, Sarah looked like a beautiful young woman and she had her whole life ahead of her. Nobody should die at work. No, nobody should should die die at work. Especially too when you're making a movie about the exactly. Almond Brothers, like my God, <laughs> like that's that's supposed to be something fun, not something that's. And I mean, I know mo- making movies is very at hard work, but at the most, I'm saying, you should get a contact high. Like, <laughs> right? At the most, yeah. But yeah, I just I that that 2020 episode really hit me deep, and I I do reference that in our sources, but um, there's also a couple other um, the safety for Sarah website is also mm-hmm. really interesting as well. Yeah. So well, and that was like the thing with mine; it was straight up fuckery. It was yeah. fuckery. Yeah. It was a director being told, "Hey, this isn't a great idea." Yeah, and being like, "I'm the director," and you got somebody killed, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know this is like a lot of things. Like I know. This director, these producers, whoever, did not set the train on the tracks and say, hey, go hit that woman right there. Mm-hmm. Right. But they put someone, people on train tracks. Someone somewhere should have said, this is a terrible idea. This is not safe. We can't do it. Right. Let's mm-hmm. come up with another plan. And Let's at the end of the this. day, okay, you don't get to say it wasn't my job. You're the director. Yeah. The no. You're responsible for everything. It begins and ends with you. Mm-hmm. You were the boss on that set. Nothing happens without you knowing about it. Yeah. And like I said, I know you cannot micromanage probably what is, you know, when you see the credits on movies, I mean, the list of people involved is insane, but this seemed like it was, as Sarah said, small budget. And it Mm -hmm. did seem to be, he was, you know, hands-on. And I'm like, the crew that was out there was not huge. It wasn't the entire crew. Like you could have said, Hey y'all, we don't have any kind of medic here. What's up with that? We don't have any kind of safety people here. What's up with that? Absolutely. At the end of the day, you are the one in charge of that set. Period. Well, do you think the reason he didn't have anybody like that there is because he knew they weren't supposed to be there and a safety person would say, shut it down. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think. Well, that's like why Landis paid those kids under the table because any casting person doing payroll would have been like, hey, wait a minute. You paid them for what? They did right. what? At what time? Well, I was going to say, too. Exactly. He he liked to brag about the fact that he made shots. That he, he filmed things either illegally or with no safety regulations. Like, 
and he filmed some scene in a London subway and you cannot film in a London subway, but he did it anyway. He snuck a camera in and did it. And here's the thing is there is, I think, an art form to guerrilla filmmaking. And I think that that can be done. I think it's usually documentary style. And so by all means, you made a movie with kid in play. You were not a guerrilla filmmaker. Exactly. You're just an asshole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like he bragged about, I think it's in the beginning of CBGB. And I have not seen that movie. I keep saying I'm going to because it was filmed in Savannah, but I also don't want to give any. I don't want to see it either. Now I'm like, fuck it. The beginning of the movie has a kid, like a toddler, like 18 months, two years running around a pasture and there are all these cows everywhere and he was like oh yeah I filmed this scene with this baby running around these cows ha 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 and like everyone was like hey that, that might not be safe what if like did you guys have an animal wrangler on, on apparently set? not apparently oh no, I'm sure he just to do. oh look a field of cows we won't yes, even get the farmer's permission right which I'm like who whose baby is that like right it made me nervous just mm-hmm. watching the little bit they showed on 2020 because i'm like oh babe i don't think these cows are gonna trample you and stampede but i also you don't know you don't know that you don't right. know I mean, cows mama my... cows are vicious yes. right. and i'm like well, i don't want my baby like... running around a huge animal right. like that like john waters like had divine jump into like a random pig pen okay that yeah. was john waters and divine Okay, yeah. Yeah. you're not John Waters, bitch. No, <laughs> you know? and I do think that they do choose places like Georgia. Like, there's a lot in Louisiana because if you go over the I-10 bridge into New Orleans, they have all these prop cars and all of this yeah. other stuff because they're so lax with workplace safety. Like, if you and fill- taxes, exactly. Cheaper. There's yeah. cheaper. Ta- there's there. tax breaks. Yeah, and so, and I think like in California. um, when I was watching Mad Men, the cigarettes that they're smoking are fake. They're yeah. herbal cigarettes because you can't smoke in a workplace in California right. and a movie set's still a workplace. Yep. So, I mean, a lot of these places like New York, like California have because they've done this before. And again, we have these regulations for a reason. Exactly. Because some baby's going to get trampled by a herd of cows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I'm like, I don't know how you can you know, I just, I'm like, I'm all for getting a cool shot in a movie, but God, oh, not yeah. at someone's the expense of someone's safety. Like mm-hmm. that's why I mean, me. it's like, speaking of Spielberg, like a lot of the stuff in Schindler's list, for example, you know, they put themselves in physical danger to get those shots. It was Schindler's fucking list. Right. Um, it was the same when they were doing Jurassic park and the, Anna the, uh, dinosaur people yeah, were like yeah. inside the dinosaur mm-hmm. fixing things and they're like something could go wrong at any minute and this fucking thing could crush me that was for jurassic fucking park yeah you know, <laughs> you i was know? watching lost boys the other day and the scene where they're hanging on <laughs> hanging on the bridge exactly and I'm like, what i was thinking of yep. and y'all did i'm like they did that safely right yeah which I, that may have been a fake one but hey you know what get a fake one yeah, we still get to see Kiefer Sutherland to this day because they were safe about it. Exactly, <laughs> we get to enjoy him for all times. Yes. Um. Anyway, so that is that's uh folks who were killed on movie sets. Yes. Our next episode, our beloved Hannah has suggested that we cover Native American burial grounds and mounds and all of that. So we're sites going to, and whatnot. Yeah, 
we're going to dive into some history and cover some indigenous uh, stories. So I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and then we got a lot of fun stuff planned for the we next do. month or two. Yes. So stay tuned. Yes. Thanks for sticking Lori. with us. Yes. Yeah. For almost a year. Woo-hoo. I'm so excited. But if you would like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to Cemetery Row Pod at gmail.com. Yay! Woohoo! Okay. Well, All right. We will see, see y'all you next, time. next time. Yeah. Oh. Well, we should be recording at night. Like, we yes. Just like back, <laughs> back to our normal nightly schedule. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.